into a CD, DVD by Ted Roberts, The Battle Plan for Purity. And it's powerful. It's powerful. He made the comment. He said, there's no way we can have revival in the church's, church's present condition. No way we can have revival. Or God would have to repent. The churches are going to have to deal with this issue. What's the issue he's talking about? Here's the issue. 60 to 70% of men in church are in sexual bondage. 20 to 30% of women are in sexual bondage, according to statistics that he's got. 50 to 58% of ministers in churches are in sexual bondage. So he says, there's no way we can have revival in the churches in the present condition. If we had revival, God would have to repent. The churches are gonna to have to deal with this issue. He tells a story about being at a big conference minister's conference out of town as he was checking out the minister the uh, guy behind the desk said boy your people sure do like the uh, rent a lot of the x-rated movies all ministers they were away from home away from their wives and they were acting out now I'm not saying all of them were but that was the comment he got from the guy behind the desk who would know what's going how many people upload and rent stuff when they're alone out of town it's, it's a little bit discouraging. So in Genesis 1 and verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You know, the only place you see the image clearly is in a covenant relationship with God. That is covenant relationship, man and woman, husband and wife, and hell will do everything in its power to mar that image. Husband and wife, relationship. So let's, let's take a look at the seventh commandment, uh, adultery. Look at the seriousness of the matter. I say the seriousness of the matter because as we go through these scriptures, we know these scriptures, but notice, notice this. Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Leviticus, I can't talk. Leviticus, Leviticus 18 and verse 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. A couple more scriptures. Leviticus 20 and verse 10. And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's what I mean by the seriousness. of. I mean, this, that's pretty serious. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 22 if a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband then they shall both of them die both the man that lay with the woman and the woman so shall, so shall thou put evil away from Israel the seriousness of the matter I mean death penalty how many people would you have to today <laughs> in America with, with you know adultery probably being one of the top hallmark sins of America. You look at, I mean, soap operas, pornography, songs, country western songs, music, all talking about one night stand, whatever. How many people would you, I mean, I'm just questioning the seriousness of this issue requiring the death penalty. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious. Thankfully, I guess today we don't live under a theocracy, so we don't have to put these people, you know, they're not, they're not being, you know, killed today. The reason is because we live in a society that promotes evil constantly. 
wouldn't be fair to be going around putting those people to death. But when God's kingdom come, there will be that kind of rule. Now they say, so why so serious? I heard Ron Dart say one time that between husband and wife, there are, and he used the term bugs, that can be passed back and forth in sexual relationship. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. But when you introduce multiple partners, this person, that person, that person, these bugs mutate, divide and conquer, something goes wrong. And that's the reason for the STDs that we have in America. So God, you know, God gives laws for a reason. It's like the, you've heard of the wicked Bible. It was, you know, it said, you shall commit adultery. And uh, it was misprint. And so they got rid of them and burned them, but a few escaped. And you can only imagine the value if you had one of those <laughs> that said, thou shall commit. But anyway, it was a misprint. But, you know, it, it, could God, it's not the way God, God, some people think, well, why didn't God, why did he say don't commit? Couldn't he have just said commit adultery? Well, no. He's, that's, this is after our own best interests to protect the family, to protect the marriage, to protect that covenant, to protect you from disease. And, and God is a good God, and that's the reason he gives us these laws. <clears throat> now, Jesus said, Jesus elaborates, and he says, but I say unto you that whosoever looks upon a woman to lust after her commits adultery with her already in his heart. Now, you know, this is not a, just a New Testament concept of, of looking and lusting with the eye. You sort of have a tendency to think maybe that it is, but no, this, this goes way back. Uh, the concept of looking, lusting, not supposed to do it. Let's take a look at some verses here. In Genesis, uh, Genesis 34 and verse 2. And when, how do you say that name? Shechem. Shechem. Who named these kids back then? <laughs> you know, it's like Gertrude or Shechem or whatever. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, notice that, he looked at her. What are we talking about? Lust, looking, you know. With the eye, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So, I mean, here you have the concept, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to do this, to, to look, to lust. This is, you know, the concept that Jesus talked about, if you so much as look at a woman to lust. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet thy neighbor's house. You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, his ass, nor anything that is, is your neighbor. In other words, the word covet means you're not to desire. Look on and say, I want that. To desire. In other words, we're talking about desires going bad in a human heart. Desires going bad. You can control your desires. You can control what's, com what's coming forth up in the heart. I love that part in the movie Rigoletto where the boy, you know, change the way you you feel or something like that you you I, I can't I can't think remember the whole part of the movie but it's such a powerful concept that you have the power to change the way you feel you have the power to change your desires your emotions you can do that desires gone bad second Samuel 11 verse 2 and it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself now why was she out there washing herself in the buff. I've never figured that one out. Maybe somebody needs to help me with that one. But uh, 
And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. You know, again, look to lust. You know, you cannot escape. You cannot escape beautiful women. Nor should you try. <laughs> They're a blessing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying, wow. Commodores used to say, she's a brick house. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with saying, that woman's well built. I mean, to be grateful. But I'm, I'm glad that God made women the way they did with the shapes and all that and beautiful women. But, you know, it's that, it's where you go from there. That second glance, that second look. That's what becomes, I think, sin. That second look and where we take our minds. In fact, Job 31 and verse 1 says this. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So you got the eyes you make a covenant with, but here's the second step. Why should I think? Why should I dwell upon? Why should I lust? Why should I seek after, think after this person? So looking to thinking and dwelling on is where the sin begins. When you start to think, when you start to dwell on. <clears throat> Proverbs 26 and verse 25. Lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. I love something that, um, you know, Sandy, you're talking about you can't remember anything. I mean, it's already happening to me. <laughs> Andrew, yeah, Andrew Womack, ministry. He said, you cannot be tempted by a thought you don't think. I love that. I mean, it's sort of simplistic. Why am I thinking this? If I weren't thinking this, I wouldn't be tempted by it. You cannot be tempted by a thought you don't think. That, that, that has helped uh, in, in my personal life. I know that. So, now, okay, lust not after her beauty. Now, question. As a man, or, or woman, whatever, are there places... You should stay away from. Sure it is. I mean, if you know what's going to be there, if you know that, I know there's certain places I don't, there's certain movies I don't watch. You know, if a movie has a sexual portrait in it, I'm not going to watch it. Uh, uh, <laughs> certain restaurants I don't go to. Don't go to Hooters. I know what's in Hooters. Name like Hooters, what do you expect? Um, <laughs> Because I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I, you know, I, it's just easy for me not to go there. You know, because uh, uh, that's a simple way to handle that for me. All right. So, yeah, there's places that you should avoid if you know that you think that, okay, this is going to be tempting. All right. Uh, and James, James 1 and verse 14, I like this. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. There's something inside of us, something inside of you when you struggle with this area. The sin, Paul refers to it as the sin that dwells within me. You know, but that's how we get from one point, from point A to point you know, E or whatever. I was reading something from Ron Dart, The Beauty and the Power to Love. Man, it was a powerful article. I want to just quote some of it. He said, nearly every form of art, music, and beauty has become seriously degraded in the past 100 years. And you know, that, that's a true statement. I used to have Siri radio on my truck, 
And you could listen to 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s music. And you could go from each decade, you know, and I'd listen to the 40s, and it was, it was a romantic songs and songs about America. And, of course, very good, decent, clean music back then. Then you collect to the 50s, and you get more, you know, rockabilly, and, and then you start notice, noticing this self-centered trend. And then you go to the 60s. I hate it, the 60s, you know, the hippies, free love, free, you know, it just, I, I can't even listen to 60s music. And then 70s, you know, I like 70s because that was when I grew up in, but still, the music, a lot of it was carnal to the core. Not all of it, but, but a lot of it was. Then 80s and 90s, and you can just see the degeneration as you, as you just click to those channels. It just gets lower and lower and lower and lower. Continuing quoting, there's been a terrible fading of beauty. Something has happened. Something has changed. Something has gone out of our lives, and frankly, I'm worried that we'll never get it back. Having lost the power to love, men have, have lost the power to create beauty. For beauty arises from love. I heard someone say recently that crea the creation of the universe was an act of love. Man, I never thought about it like that. The creating, you know, you look at everything that God created had to be. An act of love, all the beauty that God created. An act of love. And in the last 50 years, women have gone from objects of love to sex objects. How pitiful. Women have participated in this terrible deed, and there's no beauty in it. There's only lust. It's reflected in the way young women sometimes dress. Some dubbed it, this is not my, this is his words, some dubbed it slut wear. <laughs> uh, beauty is not the object sex is the object and you know you look at some of the clothing magazines that you can get you realize what's the object sex is, the, is what they're trying to sell and you know how have we come to this you know I know when I see it a beautiful modest dressed woman. It registers, you know. I know when I see that. And uh, it can be in our society getting to be a rare thing, I guess. But uh, it, it's, it's sad that we've been brainwashed this concept that this is how, you know, one needs to dress. And what can you do about it? I mean, you, who said that the clothing store, that was it the high heel shoes? Was it homosexual design those things? Was it was it high or something like a what? Some of the first high heel shoes were for Napoleon. The he was so short. Uh huh. Yeah. Is that okay? Okay. So what I was saying is about Jesus' statement was that uh, let's back up here. It's not a New Testament concept. Not a New Testament concept. But I'm saying to you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. Why Jesus had to reiterate this, I, I think there were people saying and believing, well, I never literally committed adultery. Therefore, I'm okay. Now think about that. That was probably the mindset back then. And think about, it, that tells you how far off track they had gotten. How, how, how far missing the mark they had gotten to even think like that. Haven't done it, the letter of the law, literally, you know, whatever. But what goes on between the ears, different story altogether. 
Now, I want to switch gears here and sort of ask um, why would a person, why would we lack, maybe why we sometimes lack that personal, intimate relationship with God? Why we lack spiritual vision? I want to set the story up with a story in 2 Kings and 6 and verse 13. You know, we all want a closer relationship with God. We all want to see you know, where is God taking me? What does God want me to do? What does God have for my life? Spiritual vision. We all want that. Well, let's take a look at this story, 2 Kings 6 and verse 13. Powerful concept. It's about Elisha. 2 Kings 6 and verse 13. And he said, go and spy where he is. Speaking of Elisha. That I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothans. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant, that is the servant of Elisha, got up the next morning, he looked out, and behold, a host encompassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, how Shall we do? In other words, what are we going to do about this, Elisha? We're surrounded by our enemy, horses and chariots. And Elisha started crying and weeping and said, Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> Please, Lord, rescue us. I give up. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Notice what Elisha does here. This, this is so powerful. Verse 16. And he answered, said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with him. And I imagine his servant at this time probably thought, What are you talking? Are you crazy? <laughs> All I see is the enemy out there. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Verse 17. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. In other words, they were protected. No one could get through that circle of God's protection. Man, would you, would you like to see something like this? I know I would. To, to have a spiritual vision of what's going on behind the scenes. To see and understand the spiritual battles in your own life. What you're facing. Would you like to see God? See God's intervention. Spiritual vision. You know, Elisha was a visionary because he could see like this. I mean, the encouragement from being a visionary to know, hey, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about here in this battle because I can see this, how it's working out. Man, you're talking about some encouragement in our personal lives. If we could have that, that spiritual vision. Well, who... Who does God give this to? Who can see God? What God is doing? Well, the, Jesus answers that question. Let's turn to Matthew 5 and verse 8. To understand the spiritual battles in your life. To see God. To see God's intervention. To have spiritual vision. To be encouraged by being a visionary. Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they shall see God. And I think often we look at that as a future event. Well, yeah, one day out there I'm going to see God. And, you know, well, yeah, by then, yeah, you'll have pureness of heart. But I think that, you know, what about right now? Pureness of heart. Men, are we pure in heart? Women, are we pure in heart? You know, I have to admit, I have not always been. And, you know, there's grace and forgiveness. But we will never be the man or woman God wants us to be as long as we are unpure in heart. Never. It's never going to happen. Now, how do you get there? How do you get there? Now, let me switch here. You know, two married men. This, 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 helps, this will help you a lot. To the married. It's a matter of realizing what you have. What, you all, what God has blessed you with. Proverbs 5 and verse 8 tells us instructions on the marriage covenant. Proverbs 5 and verse 18. Proverbs 5 and verse 18 says, Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her be as a loving hind in a pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished away with her love. You know that word ravish means intoxicated. Be intoxicated with each other, with her love. Carried away. In other words, totally carried away with each other's love. <clears throat> when I think about what this guy said, it's troubling to me. You know, when he said there's no way we can have a revival in the church's present condition or God would have to repent. The churches are going to have to deal with this and those statistics that he gave, 60 to 70% of men struggling, 20 to 30% of men, women struggling, 50 to 58% of pastors. These issues are going to have to be dealt with before people can even respond to the truth. You know, sometimes I've wondered, why don't people in church, Christian church, respond more to the truth? You know, and, may, and why don't they respond more to the truth that we try to get out there? But you know, if you are spiritually blinded in an area, you're not going to respond to anything. You're not going to respond to anything. It's like throwing it all to the wind, you know. Truth about whatever we have, you know. Truth about the Sabbath, I'm not knocking that. Truth about the holy days, truth about whatever. Whatever truth you want to talk about. But if a person is spiritually blind... It's like just cashing out pearls before, your swine, before swine or whatever. It's not going to have much of a result. So, I mean, you know, I think, I know my heart went out when I watched some of these videos. People that are spiritually blind, that cannot see the truth. God created man in his own image. And the image of God created him, male and female. And the only place you see the image clearly is in a covenant relationship with God and hell will do everything in his power to mar that image. You know, we need to pray for one another and we need to pray for the spiritual condition of the churches that dot our landscape. Boy, I mean, I never realized how much we need, you know, praying for one another, but praying for the churches that dot our landscape. They need, they, we need to pray for them that the blinders be taken off and that revival can occur. Because until there's revival there, you know, I don't know if we're going to do anything ourselves very much. 
It's a, it's a pitiful condition. So I hope, hopefully this has helped us in the area of purity of heart. To be a man, a woman that has a pure heart.